This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you in part by Rosedale Communications, offering author-centric literary consulting, writing, and editing services to help you capture your voice, craft your message, edit your content, and publish your completed manuscript for business or ministry online at craftingyourmessage.com. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number for him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I Work For Him podcast. And Martha, on Tuesdays, we call it... Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha. Hey, we're so grateful that you tuned into I Work For Him today as we always focus Tuesdays on marriage and relationship issues because if your marriage is a mess or your relationships at home are a mess it impacts everything you do it impacts your work and because as christ followers our marriages are supposed to be a light to the community the fabric of the nation we got to talk about this on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. however you're listening to us today just know that you've been prayed for and we welcome you to join in conversation with us. Martha, how can people get, in connect, get connected to us? Well, you know, um, one of the things we'd love to find out is where people are listening from. We are broadcast on several stations across Florida and Georgia and on the Internet. And so if um, they reach out on our website, which is IWorkTheNumber4Him.com, we actually have a contact page and they can put in there, hey, I'm listening to you on such and such a station. Or another great thing that we've newly started is our I Work For Him listener line. The listener line. And they can call and leave a message and... um, even get a copy of a book from our book sponsor, which we would love to send their way. And at the same time, they can let us know what station they're listening on, whether it's Jacksonville or Tampa or anywhere across the country. That listener line, 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. All right. I grew up in Minnesota where the farmers and the locals are always talking about how the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. I learned in my 30s that the reason the grass is greener is that there's a leaky septic tank over there fertilizing the grass. That's not the kind of green grass you and me want to have. Today we're going to talk with Nancy Anderson. She she suffered from the grass is greener syndrome as a young married woman. She eventually had an affair with a co-worker and nearly destroyed her marriage. Since we dedicate every Tuesday show to marriage and relationship issues as they relate to our workplaces, you will see the very practical nature of today's show. Our Christian marriages, as I said before, need to be a light to the community, not more of the same as what people see in the uh, in the society all around them. Today, Nancy's going to share from her heart about her new book, Avoiding the Grasses Greener Syndrome, How to Grow a Fair-Proof Hedges Around Your Marriage. Nancy Anderson, welcome to I Work For Him. And Nancy, welcome to I Work For Him. Steve, I can't hear Nancy in case you don't know that. 
All right. Well, so while we're waiting, yep. I, I just wanted to clarify the chat, the title in case anybody is Googling okay. it. It's Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome. I think you were renaming it The Grass is Greener. I, I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. Nancy, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. Wonderful to be with you, Jim and Martha. Yes. Well, we're excited. I, I got a chance to read your book, and I loved the transparency in the book. I loved just how you weren't you, – you held nothing back, which is, uh, which is always – Nice to hear because people can learn from truth. But before we get to the whole story of your book, why don't you tell us, how did you become a follower of Jesus? The Jesus People Movement, 1972, I was one of those. who I was a good girl. I went to church, but I didn't know the Lord. I was dutiful, but I wasn't connected to God in a, in a specific way through Christ. And so when the hippies came and started talking to me and they played the Larry Norman song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, (laughs) I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I didn't have what they had. And so I went forward at a Navigators event, actually, and gave my heart to Christ in 1972. I hadn't thought about Larry Norman in a very long time. That's funny. I love that. We thought that that song was so... Um, uh, um, it was radical. It was radical for those days, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It was. oh, but very it poignant, was, and it really, it obviously touched your heart. It did. I just like I don't know what they're talking about. I'm not ready, and mm. so then I said, "How can I be?" And they told me. So it was for me. It was it was shockingly clear that I was not ready. You know, and I just would say for those that don't have any clue what we're talking about, <laughs> that may be of a younger um, I'm sure it's on age, YouTube. yes, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, Google it, because I think the lyrics are powerful. They can just look for the, the song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. From by Larry Norman. There you absolutely. go. And you'll so love thanks. his haircut, too. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Nancy, where did you realize that you had a passion for writing? You know, I'm not sure I have a passion for writing. I have a passion for marriages, Uh, and the writing is a discipline in order to get to my passion, which is to encourage marriages. mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people where the words flow out. I have to beat them out of myself. (laughs) Now, I know you've got connections to the Midwest because you make reference to connections. Where, Where did you grow up originally? I was born in Denver, but then I was raised in Winona, Minnesota, which is a sweet little town on the Mississippi, and that's where I grew up. And um, then, then you escaped came, to California. Then I came to California to go to Biola, which is a Christian uh, college mm-hmm. here, and mm-hmm. never went back except and to visit. Left. I can't. I can't imagine why you wouldn't go back. Winona <laughs> is a beautiful, and people want to know where Winona is. If you've ever saw the movie Grumpy, Grumpier Old Men, or Grumpy Old Men, yes. That was filmed on the Mississippi and the lakes around Winona, Minnesota. So That's you know right. exactly where Nancy Anderson's talking about. What a great visual that is. Okay, so if I don't pull Jim back, he'll just sit okay. here and talk about Minnesota <laughs> with you all Minnesota. day. Okay, so you wrote this book, Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, How to Grow a Fair Proof Hedges Around Your Marriage. And it has to do with your relationship with your husband, Ron. And it's a, it, it's a very... You say you don't have a passion for writing. Maybe that's fantastic because you wrote very much from your heart as you wrote this book. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give away some copies of your book later. But how did you meet Ron? We met when I came out here to go to college. 
Um, I was at Biola, which was a Christian school, but I took some general ed classes at a community college, and that's where I met him. I was sitting on a park bench on the campus reading a book about Groucho Marx, who's a comedian for the younger listeners, (laughs) and my husband was, is, a professional comedian. So he saw what he thought was a pretty girl reading a book about a comedian, and he's like, okay, that's for me. And so he came over and started asking about the book, and, of course, then it went from there. But that was the start. That was a, that's a great start because you had something you, he was obviously, obviously close enough to you to be able to tell what book you were reading. So. Yeah. Well, it had that's, a picture on, you know, a picture of Groucho yes. on the cover. So. Oh, that's great. So fast forward, you guys were married and how long was it before you guys started having problems? You know, we were both faking it during mm-hmm. the courting part and we were on our best behavior, both of us. Most people and are. Even through the engagement. And then we got married, and some of the uh, niceties, the please and the thank you, and the preferring one another went out the window for both of us. And he started to exhibit some habits, that, bad habits, that he had learned growing up from his family of origin, which was when someone disagreed with you, you used profanity and called them horrible names. That's how you won an argument, which Mm. that didn't go well with me because my parents never used profanity and never had a vicious argument. So we were both ill-equipped to actually have a disagreement and then come to some sort of a solution. Neither of us knew how to do that. Now, had you and Ron gone through any premarital counseling, mentoring before you guys got married? We did. We went actually through E.B. Free Church, which was Chuck Swindoll's church in Fullerton, and it was a good program. But again, like I said, we were both pretending to know we knew the right answers, we said the right stuff, but it wasn't legit. It wasn't true. Now, was Ron a Christ follower when you guys got married? Barely. He was not when I met him. He came to Christ through... That same church, he actually made an appointment to go get saved. Wow. And he did. Today we bring you the author, Nancy Anderson. Nancy C. Anderson. And because you'd know that if you lived in the Midwest, you'd know that there's probably 4,765 Nancy Andersons. And there's probably 1,500 Nancy C. Andersons, but none other than this Nancy C. Anderson that has written Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, How to Grow a Fair-Proof Hedges Around Your Marriage. Nancy, when we ended the last segment, we talked about how the issue, the core issue that you and Ron we're struggling with was handling conflict. Ron grew up in a household where screaming and yelling was the norm. You grew up in a very typical southeastern Minnesota household where nobody raised their voices and yes. probably nobody ever faced the conflict if it was a typical Minnesota household, as I know and love. So talk to me about how did that, what kind of problems did that start for you guys? Well, it created distance. And it created, we both wanted to be right, and we were both right fighters. So we would fight to the death, even if it made no sense, because we didn't want to be wrong. Now, me more than him, actually, my husband is more generous in that than I am. But so because of the distance that we had between us, 
then other things started to feel distant as well. We grew apart physically. The intimacy was less. The hand-holding was less. The phone calls to check on each other were less. And we just really drifted apart. And instead of trying to fix it, I went searching for greener grass because I thought he was... I thought I made a mistake and he wasn't the right one for me. <laughs> so... You handled your marriage, the both of you handled your marriage problems by allowing distance to grow because the yep. conflict was too much to handle. Yep. So we just, he stayed away more. I went out with my friends more. We just didn't face it. And that's what we tell couples now is admit that you're in trouble. That's the first step, which we didn't do. Well, and that was going to be my question because I want to hit some of the issues because you've just hit on a couple of very key issues. As Martha and I do marriage mentoring, I've been doing it for 20 years, things that we see often. And number one, learning how to handle conflict in marriage because every couple has grown up in different households. And almost unanimously, they grew up in households where conflict wasn't handled it just wasn't handled. It would, it would like you, like you guys, one grew up in a screaming household, one grew up in a non-conflict, never raise your voice kind of household, or some people both grow up in screaming households, but very rarely is, does somebody get to grow up in a household where conflict is handled properly. If you guys had been taught how to handle conflict, would that have changed how those first three or four years went? I think it would. And I also think if we'd have known that conflict is normal and conflict is okay, and you can have differing opinions and still be married to the person you're, you know, you should stay married even if you have differing opinions. We just thought we were, had done it all wrong, and I wanted to start over now. He wanted to stay married to me. But it, it was such a, it created, like you said, such a distance between us that, that I quit caring. And had we known the skills that we have now, we still have conflicts. We had one the other day about <laughs> who parked the car in the garage crooked. I mean, it could have gone bad fast. <laughs> you know how it's over really nothing? But then the other frustrations of life get wrapped up in that argument about is the car crooked and who put it there. Um, so now we just stop. And we'll say, I'll say, you know what, if I parked it wrong, I'm sorry. And then it's over. Hmm. All right. So talk to me about then, talk to Martha and I, how did you and Ron, just review, how did you handle those problems? So you mentioned that we allowed the distance, but, you know, Ron, which, how did Ron handle all of your distance and how did you choose to handle your distance? Well, his go-to was anger and name calling he would like try to shame me into behaving better which of course that's counterproductive and compare me to his old girlfriend that's not a good technique and i would i just escaped my pattern with boyfriends in the past had been when i got bored with them or we didn't agree about something i just move on to another one so i had a bad pattern of not staying and working it out And I continued that pattern when a guy at work started telling me I was funny and pretty and smart and all the things Ron wasn't telling me. Well, let me just ask you a question, though, because based on, you know, when I read the book, you talk, you present your parents in an extremely loving, kind fashion. In fact, I know we're going to hit some of that in a little bit on how they impacted you and your marriage. How did you see your parents resolving conflict? I didn't see them have conflict. So, oh, 
So it was a very typical Minnesota household where they never, they just pretended yes, there was never conflict. Stoic, <laughs> uh, German and English, which, you know, you can't stereotype, but typically I'm sure they had disagreements, but they were behind closed doors. So I didn't see a conflict and then a resolution. I didn't see that pattern of what do you do when you disagree. And that is such a good um, skill for us to show the next generations because life is, like you said, full of conflict. And sometimes it can be the craziest little things like a crooked car in the garage that, that you know, because cause if you guys are anything like us, it's about control and, you know, doing it proper and all of those things. I but, don't have control but, issues. <laughs> but it is really irrelevant when you're looking at your big life. But if we don't learn how to walk through that, um, then we can we can uh, have the conflict can become le- um, be even bigger. So how did all of this lead you to the point where you actually had an affair? No, it was I had a legitimate need to be loved and cherished and cared for, mm-hmm. and my husband wasn't doing that. But I met it in an illegitimate way. Instead of seeking help to get that from my husband and explaining to him what I needed and how sad and how lonely I felt. I just took the easy road out, which isn't easy in the long run, but it was easy in the moment, and that is a a man at work who was a nice guy. I mean, we were friends. But one day his leg bumped up against mine at a meeting around a table, and I didn't pull my leg away. And that one thing, that one tiny, seemingly insignificant decision led to more and more and more and more decisions until I'm at the edge of a cliff and I have a really big decision to make. So the man that you had, that you had the affair with at work, was he married? Yes. With children. I didn't have any at the time. So how did it start to, I mean, you didn't all of a sudden, you know, rub legs and then jump into bed together. You, how did this progress? I mean, because I want, I want people to hear this because a lot of times people think, well, I, I'll never end up having an affair. And, and honestly, it, it, you hear much more about men having affairs at work than women having affairs at work. Yet you'll find that when a woman is needing to be loved and cherished and cared for, that's what happens. How, what how did this, what was the path, what did it look like that led to you having an affair with, quote-unquote, well, Jake at work? Right. Well, like I said, it started with the leg bump. So I sent him a signal that I was open to possibilities. And he wasn't a predator. He wasn't a bad man or anything. He was probably just a, a, a lonely guy who had conflict with his wife. Um, so we started to sit together more at lunch. And then we go to lunch alone. Um, and then we'd go meet after work somewhere, you know, take separate cars and go down and meet somewhere. And then, you know, after that, it progressed to where we went to a hotel. So it was, and the whole time I'm telling myself, I won't do the next step. Mm -hmm. I'm justifying because it's only lunch, right? And then it's only dinner. Well, you justify all the way down the line until you can't justify anymore. But it felt good. I won't lie. It was flattering. It was wonderful to be needed and cherished and noticed. And it was, it was a sin. There's no doubt about it. But we know that sin can be fun for a season. So then how did the Lord get your attention through that? Well, it was many different ways, as simple as 
a radio broadcast. Jay Vernon McGee would come on the radio as I'm driving, and he'd say, if you'll stop your sinning, God will forgive you, but you have to turn from your wicked ways. And I would get so furious mm. and slam the radio off. And uh, I, I remember distinctly telling God, leave me alone, which is a very dangerous thing to say. <laughs> and then the next thing was um, people would would say things to me. God was trying to get my attention. I'd drive by church, and there'd be a God allows you turn sign, you know, out on the marquee. And I'd say, but I don't want a U-turn. I want to mm. keep going. So God tried all along. Now, I'd been to five years of Bible college. It wasn't that I didn't know right. that what I was doing was wrong. I was just walking in disobedience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that eventually led you to a crossroads. We're talking with Nancy Anderson today about her book, Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, How to Grow Affair-Proof Hedges Around Your Marriage. Nancy, as we left the last segment, you're talking about how things led down the road to your affair with an office worker, but it got got even worse because you decided you were going to leave your husband, and that's when things started to turn out. You you actually left your husband. Tell, Tell us what happened. Yes, I did. I moved out of the house. Now, I lied. I told him all the lies you could imagine. It's not you. It's me. I need some space. We've grown apart. I need some time to think. All those things that people say when they don't want to tell the truth. Uh, But then eventually, I ended up confessing to him that there was another person, but that was down the road. So he didn't realize that well, he, he knew I was distant from him. He knew I had moved out to a hotel, but he didn't know that I'd actually put down a deposit on a, um apartment. So I so was you, gone, emotionally, physically, spiritually gone. Well, and that was the beginning of the end for you because you, when, when Ron was going to be out of town for a couple of days, you said, hey... Would you set out the key? I want to come get some stuff. I'm going to go, I, I'm going to go um, get my own apartment. And that was the night that God stopped you in your tracks. Talk about, talk about that. It was an amazing, really, probably 24-hour oh, awakening, I guess you could say. Yes, I, I went back to gather some of the 8-track tapes and uh, my belongings <laughs> that I valued at the time. And I wasn't supposed to be there, but that's the day my mother called. And my mother, who had a connection with the Lord that no one understood except her, she knew something was wrong. But then when she confronted me with it, I lied. And I said, you know, I'm fine. So she put my dad on the phone, and I have never been able to lie to my father. And so I I confessed to him at least part of the truth that I was miserable and that I was leaving Ron. And his response was not what I had hoped. I hoped he'd say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. He's a mean man. Come home. He didn't say that. He said, what have you done to fix it? Have you gone to marriage counseling? No. Have you read a book on marriage? No. Have you gone to your pastor? No. Have you gone to a Christian retreat? Have you talked to a marriage mentor? No. He said, well, then I can't support you leaving your husband because you haven't done anything to fix it. And then then I play the little girl thing, and I go, but Daddy, don't you want me to be happy? 
And he said, I didn't raise you to be happy. I raised you to behave. Wow. (laughs) You know, we love having wise fathers, but that in that moment, how did that feel? Wow, like a knife. Oh, yes. But in a good way. Yeah. Because I know without a doubt, he's in heaven now, but I know he loves me. And anything, anytime he would discipline me, it was with my best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. Since I was a child and teenager and got caught shoplifting and, you know, all the things he's had to discipline me for in my life. So I knew it was with love and I knew he was right. And and then he asked me to stay that night and wait for Ron, and then he said a prayer um, over the phone. This is from Minnesota to California, but he said a prayer that started to crack the facade, that I had built a wall between the Lord and myself, mm. and it, it got a crack in it when Daddy prayed. Mm, I love that. And, and so you hinted that, okay, your dad said, wait, wait for Ron. Now, Ron... Wasn't planning on coming home that night. No, he was at a, con- a three-day convention, and in the middle of one of the performances, he looked over at his friend who had taken him there and said, I got to go home. And the friend said, what do you mean? We just got here. It was, you know, 40 miles away, and the friend had driven, and he goes, you, well, you want me to take you home now? And Ron says, I have to go home. I can't explain it. I have to go home. Hmm. He had no reason that I would be there, yet he went home and he saw my car and then he knew I was there and he said out loud to his friend I think it's going to be okay because she's home so hmm. he he came in the door with a hopeful softened heart hoping I was home and would stay I didn't know that but after my dad had prayed for me then I said my own prayer and that's where the big turning point was because I was running from God, and he was continuing to call me to come back, but I didn't want to until I did, and that's when I sat down on the couch, and I just said, this is, I can't do this anymore. The conflict within had grown to a point where I had, I was at a crossroads, and I had to make a decision, and the only prayer I could come up with was two words, and that was, show me. Hmm. And that's when God showed me literally. Now, like I said, I'd been to Bible college. I knew the scriptures. I knew the stories. And the story of John 8, the woman who was caught red-handed in adultery, like a movie, I could see it. And the woman was me. And... Christ is there talking to her in, in, with love, saying, women, where are your accusers? She's expecting to be stoned, because at the time that was the law of the day, that she would be killed for this crime, this sin. And yet Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't stone her. She looked up, and he said five words to her that he said to me, go and sin no more. And as hard as that was to hear, but it was with such love, like my father's prayer had cut me in a way, this also did, but in a way that it was, it was cutting out the infection, the sin that had invaded my life. And I knew then that I had to 
repent and walk away from Jake and quit my job. Whether Ron would take me back, I had no idea. But I knew that I had to follow those go and sin no more, and that meant no more adultery. So how did you stop it, and how did you and Ron start moving forward? Well, when he came in that night after I had prayed that prayer, uh, his heart was already softened, and mine, of course, was, and I just cried, and I had been a tough exterior to that point. He hadn't even seen me cry. So the fact that I was crying, he says now, is one of the clues. And we talked all night. Now, if there was a time he could have called me horrible names and swore at me, that would have been the time, you'd think. But he didn't do any of that. He was merciful. He was kind. God had changed his heart as well. So we called the next morning. I quit my job. I broke up with Jake. Well, you quit your job. Why'd you quit your job? Because there's no way. There is no way I'd still be married now, 40 years later, if I hadn't quit my job. Because mm-hmm. I, could I couldn't have seen him again. Ron wouldn't have trusted me again to be in that workplace with him. And I knew that there was no way. So I quit my job. I broke it off with him. Ron talked to him on the phone, confirmed that we were going to stay together and that Jake was... He asked him politely, do not contact my wife. Do I have your word? And Jake said yes, and he he never did. (laughs) So that was the beginning. Now, I'm not saying we even liked each other. (laughs) In fact, you really didn't like each other. We didn't like each other. We had had, we were only had been married two years. You've got to remember, I'm 24 years old at the time. I'm just, when I look at a 24-year-old now, I think, oh, my goodness. (laughs) How young is that? So I just was clueless about a lot of things. And so the feelings took probably two years. But the decision was made that day because we cannot live based on feelings. We have to decide to be Christ followers, decide to be loving husbands and wives, decide what path we're going to take. And then the feelings eventually will catch up with us. You know, I want to just um, pause there for a second. I know there's so much more to cover, and I do want to talk about the hedges um, because I think that's so important for our listeners to hear. But what you just said is where we hear a lot of the arguments happen with people when they're in a compromising situ- relationship while they're married is that they're they're like, but I don't feel a certain way. Um, just speak to that for a moment more, if you would, Nancy, because I'd, I don't know how to explain that to people because I've not been in that situation. But you, um, what you just alluded to is that the result, you'd made the resolve, you had resolved that this, you know, you'd made that decision that you were going to stay in your marriage, but it didn't immediately make the feelings go away. So what would you say to our listeners that are battling that same struggle right now? Well, the feel, you can't live your life by your feelings because feelings can be deceptive and feelings come and go and feelings change with the weather. But the truth is the truth. And the truth is I was a married woman mm. and I had made a vow to God and to my husband to be faithful and true. Now, I'd broken that vow and my feelings were attached to another man, but I also knew logically that if I never saw that other man again, my feelings for him would lessen. And if Ron and I got back on the right track and started to reconnect, 
my feelings for him would eventually grow into, I had feelings for him when I married him. Right. And we, I knew we could get back there where I thought he was the greatest and he thought I was the greatest if we could navigate these hurdles. And, and it was, love is a decision. Feelings come and go, uh, but love is a decision. And, and we decided to stay married and do whatever it took to feel that way. But so, I understand the feeling part. I understand. Mm-hmm. I was still in love with Jake. All right. So let me just ask a question, okay, because you said something in your book that was very, very profound that a lot of people who've had an affair have a hard time dealing with. You later on were able to look back and see that Jake wouldn't have made a very good husband. Why is that? Well, you're right, because he had a wife, he had children, and he was betraying them. Mm. So maybe he'd have betrayed me too. Likely he would have. Today we're talking with Nancy C. Anderson about her latest book, Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, How to Grow Affair-Proof Hedges Around Your Marriage. You can check out Nancy and all of her information at nancycanderson.com, nancycanderson.com. Martha. So, Nancy, you were talking right before the break about the fact that, um, you know, feelings versus the truth. And the truth was you were married and you'd made a decision to um, honor that vow, even though there had been a time when you had broken it. What did you and Ron do? Like, how did you start to actually rebuild and what specific steps did you guys take to take this marriage that was so broken and get it to where it is today? Well, the first one was that night deciding that we were going to stay married and deciding mm. that I was going to break up with Jake and deciding that I was going to quit my job. Yes. People now that we talk to, um, you know, one guy had an affair with his neighbor and he wondered if he could stay in that house and still be with his wife and, you know, reconcile his marriage. And we said, probably not. You're yeah. probably going to have to move. So we knew that distance was one of the equations that had to happen. No contact. Then we went to a mentor couple who uh, encouraged us, told us that this was salvageable. So that little spark of encouragement helped us. And then we went home to my parents and counseled with them. And that was a turning point emotionally and spiritually because my dad talked to us about the difference between forgiveness and trust. And that in order to move forward, Ron was going to have to decide if he was going to forgive me or not, and what that meant as far as, just like the Lord forgives us, he puts it as far as the east is from the west. In other words, he doesn't remember it, and he doesn't hold hold it against us. Mm -hmm. And he explained that to Ron and asked if he was willing to make that decision and he asked us in the evening and then in the morning after Ron had thought about it I I asked for his forgiveness I said I don't deserve it I've sinned against you against God against myself um, but I am asking for forgiveness for your forgiveness and he offered it to me as a gift because forgiveness is an undeserved gift I didn't deserve forgiveness. He had biblical grounds to divorce me, but he chose not to. And, but I had to earn the trust. That took a long time, but the forgiveness was quick. 
You know, let me just speak to the trust just for one moment, because you took a huge step, though, that like you were just saying about the the person you talked to that when they, you know, had an affair with their neighbor, could they stay in their house? A huge step of trust to gain that trust would be to say, you know, I'm willing to give up my neighborhood, my house, my job in your situation in order to earn that trust, to show how much you are putting the skin in the game. Do you, do you believe that to be true? It has to be 100% in. And it, has to, it takes, people ask me how long does it take. It takes as long as it takes. There's yeah. no formula. Some people are able to, especially if they see, like in my case, where you, I quit my job. I didn't see him anymore. I was fully accountable for my time. I, I totally changed my behavior, and he saw that. Mm-hmm. But if that doesn't happen, if there's still sketchy behavior and you still feel like there's secrets, and then the trust can be fragile, and and it's possible that you can't rebuild. And some couples can't because the other person is not all in. Yeah, it, it takes two willing parties in order to repair a marriage. But we have seen, no matter how messed up the marriage is, if both the husband and wife are willing to surrender their lives to God and to each other, every marriage is fixable. That we've seen. We're talking with Nancy C. Anderson about her book, Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, How to Grow a Fair-Proof Hedges Around Your Marriage. You can check out Nancy online, nancycanderson.com, nancycanderson.com. If you want to get a copy of her book, we've got a couple of copies to give away today. 866-713-9675. That's the I Work For Him listener line. Hmm, we've already had a caller. We've already had a caller. Yes, so there's only one copy left, and we got a lot of shows but left for calling. today. That's right. Well, All right, so, Nancy, there's specific hedges that you and Ron started building around your marriages, around your marriage. Talk. We, we only have a few minutes left. We only have five minutes left, so talk to me about okay. these these different hedges that you set up. Well, the concept is to keep the good things in and the bad things out. It's boundaries that you put around your marriage, and they spell out the word hedges. I'll run through them real quick, and then you can follow up. The first one is hearing, which is actually listening to each other, not just talking at each other, but listening to the, to the unmet need of the other. Um, then encouraging, which is helping each other mentally, physically, spiritually, finding out what the love language is of the other person and meeting that need. Then dating, which a lot of couples fall apart on, uh, keeping it fresh in front, mm-hmm. continuing a relationship separate from children, separate from in-laws, separate from anybody else, just the two of you, keeping that thread going through a lifetime of marriage. And then G for guarding which is very specific boundaries that you get to set with your spouse about what are my workplace things that are acceptable or not. What if I'm away on business travel? Do I go to this other guy's hotel room? Do I not? What do I say? All those things, if you talk about them ahead of time, um, boundaries at church, boundaries with neighbors, boundaries with everything you can think of, that's the guarding part. And then educating is learning the differences my husband's an extrovert i'm an introvert he's an optimist i'm a pessimist there's so many differences but as you study each other and we say get a phd in your mate (laughs) that's good and then uh the last one is satisfying which is putting all that into practice and meeting their needs and that's hard it's okay we can say sex on the radio 
sorry, I'm coughing. It's okay. I said, it's okay. We can say sex on the radio because that's really what you're talking about, satisfying the, the, the yeah. sexual needs of each other because God put, that, put sex in marriage as the glue to hold us together, didn't mm-hmm. he? Yes, and so many women, I've talked to many, who withhold that as punishment, and that is completely wrong. Yeah. And it's destructive. And men generally have affairs for different reasons than women do, and one of them is unmet sexual, um, natural needs that they have. And if the wife refuses, it, it puts him in a dangerous position. I'm not saying that justifies him going outside the marriage, but it is a real need for men, and I don't understand it, but I do believe it, and I do honor it, and I make sure that that need is met in my husband. So, Nancy, one of the things that I want to point out when I hear you know, the title of your book, Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome, you would like people to avoid... Um, be, have, going through what you went through. Um, that's what I take away from it. And I love this little acronym of hedges because it's simple to remember, but it, you're, what you're saying, I believe, is telling our listeners, telling us that taking some um, initiative and making some purposeful decisions as a couple can really set you up for um, a more vibrant marriage that is then a fair proof. Is that right? Exactly, because we didn't have any of those hedges in place. Mm-hmm. We hadn't talked about, do I go to lunch alone with another guy? I didn't mm-hmm. know if that was right or wrong. So I think that having those boundaries in place, talking about each other, to each other, sharing passwords, you know, now the electronic age is a whole different thing. Yes. Agree on no pornography. You'd be surprised a lot of couples don't talk about it. They assume their husband's not looking at it, but they don't know. Right. Pornography ruins a marriage too. So, so you have to have a hedge. And uh, you said it's putting keeping the good things in and keeping the bad, bad things out. I uh, like that. So let me just ask this question because we haven't talked about how your faith impacted your marriage recovery. But both of you were fairly let me just, these are Jim's words. You didn't say this in your book, but fairly manby pamby weeny but kind of Christians. You weren't really serious about your faith going into this recovery process. No. We hadn't been going to church as a couple. We hadn't been going to any couple's events or studies or anything. So that was part of our, one of our biggest hedges and most important hedges was to have that spiritual hedge where he was praying for me, where I was going to women's studies, he was going to men's studies, we were going to couple studies, we were reading devotionals together. Because without that, on your own, your willpower is not that strong. We all know that. If you've been to the donut store, you know your willpower is not that strong. So you have to have the strength of Christ to undergird your own strength. I love that. So Great words. Yeah, growing in your faith is such a an attraction piece to growing us together. Because as we grow closer to God, we grow closer together. That's just so important. Nancy, I want to thank you for sharing your story about how you and Ron uh, recovered your marriage and how you guys built this all back up again. Uh, that was. Thank you so much for being transparent. Well, it was wonderful to be with you both. Thank, thank you. you. Well, make sure you can check out Nancy online at nancycanderson.com. That's nancycanderson.com. Thank you again, Nancy Anderson. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right, you've been listening to I Work For Him. Make sure you call into the listener line if you want to get a copy of this book, 866-713-9675, 866 
888-813-9675. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.